Welcome to episode 72 of the Avatar Hour podcast, your ultimate companion podcast to the world and fandom of Avatar. I'm Andre. And I'm Kayla. And today we are talking part two of the Avatar The Last Airbender comic book, The Promise. So not only will this be a spoiler-heavy discussion about The Promise comic book, you can also expect some spoilers regarding Atla and The Legend of Korra TV shows, both Kiyoshi novels, as well as Asuki Alone and Guitar and the Pirate Silver comic books. Before we get started, Kayla, how's it going? Pretty good. You know, I had a sudden realization that I graduate in three months, which is insane to me. Um, mm-hmm. It's a long time away and also not that long time of being, you know, in school still, which is crazy to think about. For sure. Um, but, you know, just trying to get through schoolwork and, you know, just kind of tying up loose ends, continuing the job search, which is mm-hmm. always fun. Um, and, yeah, just currently just trying to take it easy despite all the crazy stuff going on in my life right now. Good awesome. crazy though. How about awesome. you? Um, it's going pretty good. We're still looking for, you know, new home. The place that we got approved for fell through because Aww. we were getting like mixed messages about um like parking because we're bringing like three cars with us and come to find out we will we would only have gotten one assigned parking space. That's absurd. And um yeah, it's kind of absurd. Um, but And we had to find that out through not the landlord we were dealing with, but through like the the office that oh, the, con- really? the condo was based in. Yeah. Ugh. So that wasn't fun. But we looked at a couple of apartments this week and we applied last night for something. So we're holding out for that. But yeah, search is still ongoing. Um, but other than that, everything's been pretty okay. Let's get into the news. Um, we just have one small bit that came out last week. Um, Gordon Cormier, uh, the actor who will be playing Aang in the Netflix live action series, posted this cool photo of him and Daniel Day Kim facing off with the caption, Momo, time for you to go. And this is an obvious tease for the final confrontation between Aang and Ozai. Um, so this is pretty cool to see. I mean, just judging from the comments of the photo and um, the reaction to some sources, um, you know, reporting it, um, people are, it, it looks like people are pretty excited for, you know, how this might look in terms of the, the live action series. Yeah. And, um, clearly like fans have picked up on the reference, which is super cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, that does make me, you know, it does, I feel like honestly with this live action series constantly just going like up and down with like my hopes for it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a goddamn seesaw here with like, I'm feeling good about this. I'm not feeling so good about this. Like, but again, we can't judge until we see it. So, so yeah, uh, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be on the lookout for any um, updates from Avatar Studios. We're looking forward to the Paramount Plus Investors Day on February 15th because last year, that's when we found out that Avatar Studios was a thing. So hopefully this year, we'll hopefully get some sort of teaser or update in just exactly what... Um, projects we can look forward to um i know that uh i think this happened the past week avatar studios did have a job opening for a two uh i think it was like a cg artist yeah it was right was it motion capture or something or yeah it was motion capture and a cg artist um something to that effect but i mean that's interesting because we there have been rumors that avatar studios is going to explore a new animation style that's a blend of 2d animation and and cg which they kind of already do in avatar and Korra, but i think it's going to be a little more cg heavy Mm -hmm. um instead of 2D animation. So 
that'll be interesting. Yeah. I'll have to see it to see how I feel about it. Yeah. But I trust that they'll come up with a cool sort of style. I wonder if it's like maybe it'll be in the style of like arcane or something like that. Um, I think have I, you have you have you have you watched it yet? I watched the first episode. Yeah! <laughs> that show has taken over. The show has taken over my brain. Wait till you get to episode three. That's some <laughs> shit. Just like it just goes into a whole new gear. Just just give me a heads up. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I so I'm wondering if it's gonna be something along those lines. So not like fully like hyper realistic CG, but something that's more stylized. Yeah. Like Arcane. Well, considering how successful Arcane has been, that would be a smart move on their end. <laughs> All right. So let's move on to the recap for the promise. So this is part two of the promise. Um, so here we go. Aang, Katara, Sokka, and Toph are riding on Appa uh, into the Earth Kingdom. Sokka begins to get uncomfortable uh, as he sees more public display of affection and oogies from Aang and Katara. And uh, he begs Toph not to leave them, not to leave him alone with them. (laughs) And so Toph decides to bring him to her metal bending school so he can meet her students by way of an earth slide. They just yeet themselves off of Abba. (laughs) And I just love that I can hear Jack DeSena's like iconic Sokka screams in this panel. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, like I can absolutely hear it. I can't do a good impression, it. but you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's it's perfect. So Sokka asks Toph what gave her the inspiration to open her metal bunny school in the first place. And at first she tells Sokka that she found a lot of fulfillment in teaching Aang how to bend earth. And she knew that she had to spread the technique of metal bending and teach it to others. But Sokka kind of asserts that she just likes telling people what to do. To which she doesn't exactly deny. <laughs> but I have a feeling that what she tells Sokka at first is not 100% a lie. I think she does find fulfillment in teaching. Well, she does end up teaching two avatars in her lifetime. Exactly. And both times she's, like, reluctant. And But I do think that she, like, secretly enjoys teaching. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Are you kidding me? She had so much fun training Korra. She's like, you know, like, she says at one point, she's like, man, if I were in my prime, I would have demolished you. <laughs> like, she had such a good <laughs> yeah. time kicking Korra around. Yeah, she she definitely has um, an alternative style of teaching. <laughs> but it's something that Cora responds to really well, though. That's the thing. That's true. But we'll get more into that. We'll cross that bridge when we get to it, because I have some more thoughts on that. Right. But, like, yeah. And I mean, you, you do see how proud she is of Cora when, you know, mm-hmm. she's done. And then, of course, like, you know, as she says here, she was proud to have made a difference, you know, through teaching Aang how to earth bend. So. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I definitely do think that she wants to spread like metal bending and teach it to other people, mm-hmm. whether or not if, for, if her reasons are, you know, like purely selfish. So people know that she's the inventor of metal bending. That is also but it's still like the intentions down, are there. The deep down of the, you know, she does want to help teach people and stuff like that. <laughs> um, so Sokka ends up meeting her students, Hotun, Penga, and the Dark One. Um, and they informed Toph that they had been kicked out of their school by a firebender named Kunyo, who was starting another class in firebending. So, you know, they burst in and this man claims that since Fire Lord Zuko withdrew his support of the Harmony Restoration Movement, he and his students are taking what is rightfully theirs, uh, because apparently the school that Toph is using was originally a firebending academy. And he also denies the existence of metal bending. He's like, like, how dare you lead on these like impressionable young people into thinking that metal bending is real? Um, and then Top bends a metal spear around his head. <laughs> 
But as the two of them prepare to duke it out, Sokka interferes and comes up with a less destructive solution and suggests that the two classes face off in three days and it's a battle to the Sith. Fight to the Sith. So a fight to the Sith. <laughs> so basically whoever uh, sits first in the fight loses. Let's just go with that. Yeah, right. Um, so as Sokka and Toph exit, Toph worries that her students cannot bend metal yet. And after seeing Kunio's students train, she is sure that her own will be defeated. Wow. So, meanwhile, Aang and Katara's arrival in Bossing Sei brings them to meet members of the official Avatar Aang fan club. And they ask Aang if he would be willing to spend the night in their all-female clubhouse, which has been designed to look like the Western Air Temple. And Aang gladly accepts, but Katara is unsure of her opinion in the group and feels jealous. And so I immediately got, like, Tumblr stand vibes just from the way their, like, dialogue was written. It's like, um, like, of course. Like, of course there's a fan club. Um, like... And I'm just like, okay. <laughs> I was thinking, I mean, I, you put this in the show notes, but I'm like, this is like Kyoshi Island all over again. Like... It is. It is Kyoshi Island all over again. Um, it just, it also just makes me wonder if any other avatars had like fan clubs or like clubs dedicated to like worshiping an avatar. Yeah. Cult, you know. What's a cult called? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if people call this a cult. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's so bad. It's not a cult. I know. But I just... <laughs> That's so stupid. I'm so sorry. I tried. Uh, but I mean, I think so. I think with like any, you know, importance or popular figure there's definitely got to be some fandom around it you know yeah i mean again it's it's just i mean the avatar in this world is like celebrity status so of course there are people like gonna want to worship them or like fantasize of being in a relationship with them so like yeah this like completely tracks but i just love the whole the whole setup of them going for like an important like war meeting and they get like distracted by the official avatar ang fan club yeah and then also like I mean, also, like, in the realm of fan clubs and stuff like that, you bet your ass that, like, as, like, technology starts to evolve and stuff like that, media becomes more of a thing, especially, like, Korra's universe, like, Korra's time onward. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. definitely Avatar fan clubs. Just of period. course. Oh, my God. They're going to be, like, subreddits of the, the <laughs> Avatar. There's, like, you know, going to be, um, what do you call the stand casts? Definitely. That's going to be a thing. Like, there's stand, anything stand that clubs. we see today, you can we can assume that it will happen eventually mm-hmm. in the Avatar universe, which I, I just think is a fun thought experiment. Yeah. <laughs> so back in the Fire Nation, Zuko uh, goes to visit Ozai again uh, because he needs advice regarding the colonies as, you know, the ongoing dilemma of this whole Harmony Restoration movement is like weighing heavily on his mind. Again, could have t- took the time to go see Iroh, um, who is yet to be seen, by the way. he He's mentioned by Anga Katara because they're looking for like a place to stay. And wonders if Iroh, you know, has any extra beds. Uh, maybe we'll see him in part three. We don't know. Maybe. But Ozai begins telling Zuko's story of when their family took a vacation on Ember Island. And Zuko, who is three years old at the time, witnesses a turtle crab being attacked by a hawk. So he goes to rescue the crab as fast as he can, but realizes that he was condemning the hawk to starve. So he stands on the beach deciding like what to do um, until a wave washes him into the sea, forcing Ozai to dive into the sea and save him. However, Zuko does not understand how this story helps him with the Fire Nation colonies until the following morning. Zuko brings more tea for Ozai because that's the only way Ozai will, will talk. And Zuko says, I've been like staying up all night thinking about what this story means. 
And Ozai responds that either decision he could have made regarding the fate of the hawk or the turtle crab would have been the correct one because the Fire Lord's decision by divine rule is always the right one. <sighs> and so this is no help at all. And no. it really, really explains <laughs> why the past couple hundred years have happened. Yeah. I also want to say that with the story has like kind of got a point a little bit. It's like you got to make a decision because eventually like the tide's going to come in and you know like when it comes to you, you got to make this you got to stand firm with your decision or some other external force is going to come in and wipe you out. So he had a point there and then took a hard left turn and I'm like fuck you made me you know. Maybe you think you had one good yeah. point in your miserable existence and then you just ruined it. <laughs> the symbolism or like the metaphor of the story is like pretty obvious, but it takes a complete left turn when Ozai was like, it doesn't matter what decision you made because whatever decision you made is the right one if you're the Fire Lord. And this reminds me of, I just looked it up because I couldn't remember the name of it, but it reminds me of the Mandate of Heaven, which was the divine source of authority and the right to rule of China's early kings and emperors. The ancient god or divine force known as Heaven or Sky had selected this particular individual to rule on its behalf on Earth. Um, so there's some parallels there, but that's not just in Imperial China. That's we've seen that yeah. through divine, all kinds of uh, different lenses. Like that. Yeah. Divine role, yeah. There's like you know, in Euro, you know, Europe that also happened with the kings there. And yeah, right. Yeah. So I mean, it's interesting in that aspect, but in this instance, I'm like, okay, no help at all. You're the worst. You're wasting we, all this tea, and for what? Yeah, we established you're the worst. <laughs> Ozai, don't need to rub it in. Zuko condemns Ozai's lack of belief in right and wrong um, because that's what it is. He doesn't believe in a wrong decision. And he asserts that he, Aang, and the Earth King could come to an agreement as to the fate of the colonies. And Ozai taunts him for continuing to pursue a negotiated settlement to this crisis. And he believes that the Earth King will stiffen his resolve this time and use force to remove the Fire Nation Colonials from Yudao to save face. He says if Zuko were a true Fire Lord, he would defend the Fire Nation Colonials with equal vigor because his subjects are an extension of his divine will. So again, it's like, you got me in the first half, Ozai, until the divine will thing. Yeah. Because like, yeah, he should be defending his citizens within reason. Yeah. But also not because he has a divine rule of anything, but because He's he... leader. Yeah, it's like he wants to take care of them because that's the kind of person he is, mm -hmm. not because he has like a divine obligation, no. you know? Yeah. So, yeah, very interesting to see, like, those two ideologies collide and here. And then, you know, he, like, you know, he does the same thing again. He has this in the first half because, you know, like, he points out that, like, you know, you got kings going to probably use force this time. And then we see later that that's exactly what happens. Uh, but then, you know, of course, he just, he just kind of just takes a hard left turn again. Like, you got a yeah. point, and then... <sighs> yeah, it's, it's really messy. But I, for one, I mean, I really... This is one of the reasons why I really enjoyed Korra season one and season four, because I just find like the politics of this universe, like really interesting. Mm -hmm. Even season three had some of it, too, with like, especially with, you know, kind of the Red Lotus questioning a lot of things, especially within the Earth yeah, Kingdom. Yeah, yeah. And definitely like uh, in Shadow Kiyoshi as well, there's like a lot of like political intrigue and a lot of the tension and the conflict is derived from political interest. So I find it interesting when that is like inserted into like a fantasy setting because mm -hmm. I think it, it just makes for really engaging stuff. Absolutely. But, you know, Zuko firmly places faith in Aang's efforts to resolve the crisis because he is on the side of good. And Ozai brushes him off by saying that the Avatar is a relic of the past, attempting to impose his will on a situation that can only be decided by force. 
and implies his son trusts Aang's judgment over his own. As Zuko angrily departs the prison, his leave is witnessed by Suki, who had secretly followed Zuko there, concerned over his frame of mind. So I think one thing that's also being implied here with Zuko is that he's really struggling with the two parts of himself, the one part that Iroh instilled of empathy and compassion and the inherent part of himself that's already there in blood of Ozai's ideology and everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's interesting to see that in some ways, this comic continues the progression of Zuko's redemption arc by having him continue to struggle with these two different ideologies. And it's a good message that people who want to redeem themselves in some ways, it is going to be a constant effort. Yeah. And it, it's you're going to be working at it every day the rest to of make sure life. that you continue to redeem yourself. So there isn't necessarily an end goal here, you know, and a lot of redemption involves proving to other people that you are doing the work. And I think that's what Zuko is struggling with here yeah. because he knows how people used to view him and he wants to make sure that he's doing the right thing, but he doesn't know what the right thing is in this situation, you know, and what I hope Zuko will come to realize is that unfortunately as a ruler, much how Tenzin tells Korra, there are always going to be people who disagree with you, yeah. who will not like your decision. But And I think that's the conclusion Zuko eventually has to get to because he cannot possibly please everybody. Yeah. You know. you were good, If you were going to say that about redemption and stuff like that, redemption being an ongoing thing and personal growth being an ongoing thing, I was going to say that. So you said it beautifully. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking about that a lot when I was reading the specific uh, panel. But Absolutely. I'm yeah. just really glad that we get to see this, like, you know, after the yeah. happily ever after kind of stuff of, you know, uh, Zuko's Fire Lord. Okay, now what? Like what, you know, like seeing him struggle with this, like it's... It's just very satisfying right. to see that, you know, I always like those kind of after happily ever after kind of stories, you know, and showing the more of the complexities, more of the challenges of like, okay, here's a new status quo. Here's how they're dealing with that new status quo. And that is just super cool to read. And yeah, that's all I got to say about that. <laughs> well, yeah. And I, I said it last week too, that again, the reason why Avatar is so good is that everything that happens in it is a logical progression of the world it makes the world feel a lot more real like not everything is going to be easy and i think the the finale episode of avatar i definitely think on your first watch you kind of imply like everything's going to be okay now you know but i mean this this comic pulls into sharp relief that there is still a lot of disconnection and and un, an imbalance in this world um but ozai Taking down Ozai was the first step to rebuilding, working towards that that better world, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and I think I think what Korra does is assert that there will be like peace and imbalance are are two things that are going to be constantly going back and forth, ebbing and flowing in the world. And so I think what the characters are like working with in this specific story, I think not only makes the most logical sense, but it highlights things about their character that makes the resolution of something like this not as straightforward. Yeah. And that's what I find really engaging about it. Because even though we know that eventually the colonies are going to remain there because of what happens with Republic City, it's still interesting to us to see how Zuko gets to that conclusion or how Aang gets to that conclusion. Mm -hmm. You know, And obviously we know Aang's not going to end up killing Zuko, but really, really interesting stuff. 
But let's move back over to the Earth Kingdom, uh, where Toph's students are trading hard, but to no avail because they can still cannot metal bend. In the other room, Toph tells Sokka how she recruited her students, and I found this really interesting. She explains that uh, the space bracelet um, that she wears from you know the meteorite Sokka used to create space sword. R.I.P. space um, sword. She says that the space bracelet found them because when she was in public, the bracelet would shiver ever so slightly, uh, especially around emotional people. Toph hypothesized that the people who made the, her bracelet shiver could be metal benders and recruited them, but she knows it is still only a theory as none of them have bent any metal yet. Sokka offers Toph his service as a motivational bender, <laughs> saying he can motivate her students. And so in an attempt to inspire them, Sokka makes them take a strong stance, close their eyes, and feel the earth. He subsequently starts throwing coins at them, hoping that the students will metal bend, but he only like knocks them out. And Toph grows even more discouraged. Um, <laughs> so things are not going well over at Toph's Metal Bending Academy. Back over at the Avatar Fan Club, Aang becomes distracted. You know, he's spending all this time with the girls. Um, they stay the night there. And he even debuts this new airbending technique that he has been working on where he, like, makes, like, small air spirals in his hand and he, like, you know, bends them out to make giant air scooters. But Katara has been, like, in the corner kind of, like, you know, grappling with this jealousy because he hears all the girls like being like infatuated with Aang and everything. And she reminds Aang of the main reason that they are in the Earth Kingdom, which is to go meet with the Earth King. And as the two leave, Aang tells Katara that even though it was just a simple fan club, it reminded him of being back with the Air Nomads. And this causes Katara to regret how she reacted. Yeah. Which is a really, it's a really heartwarming moment because... Because like Aang's just like, thank you for like, you know, you know, staying and stuff like that. You know, staying, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. And she's like, no, I don't deserve it. And like, just the look on her face in that panel was just like, uh, yeah. Hard. I mean, it, it is like a retread of of what we saw on Kyoshi Island, but at the same time, I think Katara is like kind of growing out of that jealousy, yeah. which we all know jealousy just comes from insecurity. Mm -hmm. But this is both of their first relationships, and it it's perfectly natural for like a sixteen year old like Katara to be threatened because they even say like, oh, like it's a it's an honor to meet. Avatar Aang's first girlfriend and she was like what do you mean first yeah <laughs> you know yeah. so yeah but I'm I'm continuing to be impressed just how much like emotion comes through a still panel you know absolutely and yeah I just think everything is is really drawn well and written well and a lot of the reviews I was looking at for this comic book like praised it for being consistent in the character's dialogue and a lot of people said like I can hear you know, the character speaking as I read. Yeah. Um, which is a, a giant, a giant plus. And I mean, even though this was sanctioned by Brike, I mean, this, it kind of, this technically does kind of fall under um, fan fiction, you know? And, um, and I love it because it, it shows that, that Brike is, are, is, are willing to like, let the story fall into, another sandbox where more people can play with it, you know, which is why I'm so excited about Avatar Studios. Yeah, exactly. Like, and yeah. plus, you know, you can kind of tell that this was written by people who really love the world of Avatar and love the series. Yes. You know, yes. like, just let, let the people who are fans of this stuff make more things. Like, you know, it's kind of like how, why, like, the Spider-Man PS4 game works so well because there were hardcore mm -hmm. fans of Spider-Man working on it and made into a really engaging and amazing story. So, just let more fans do continuations of a, a beloved series or character or something like make that happen please yeah. thank you because <laughs> they will not yeah. mess it up <laughs> 
Yeah, and it's just the, you know, there's a lot of shows out there where the show's creators kind of like roll their eyes at their fans because of what they want to happen in their show or in their book or whatever. Um, but I don't think Bright ever do that. No. I, they're just like, yeah, if if you want to believe that this person is this or that this happened, absolutely it happened. Totally valid. You know, completely up to you. So I love that. Um, but yeah, so that's the end of my part. We're going to continue with part two of the Promise comic book after this quick break. We'll see you after then. Hey everyone, Andre here. Before we get into the second half of the episode, we just wanted to remind everyone to check to make sure you are following the Avatar Hour podcast on your favorite podcast platform of choice. And if that platform has a rating system, please consider leaving us a review and some feedback. With subscribers and reviews, it allows us to reach future listeners and help the podcast grow in the long run. Thanks for listening. And now back to the show. All right. And we're back with part two of part two of The Promise. <laughs> so meanwhile, cut back to Toph's Metal Bending Academy. The students are still not able to metal bend. You know, update. They still can't metal bend. At this point, Toph is just worn down. She's disappointed and really worried about what's going to happen tomorrow that she doesn't even yell at the students. Like the kids are even noticing that something's off about her, you know. Sokka then pulls her aside and pitches a new approach. Make the students extremely emotional to get them to metal bend. More specifically, <laughs> scaring them. Mm-hmm. So he and Toph find Fire Nation armor. Weirdly enough, there's kid-size armor in that storage area, which is yeesh. And then we get another blind joke at Sokka's expense because he unfurls his plan and Toph's like, she does like the eye, you know, she waves her hand yeah. around. Yeah. She's like, how can you keep forgetting this? I love it. <laughs> so again, consistency. But meanwhile, in Yudao, uh, Cory trains with her firebender and earthbender cousins to help defend their city after feeling threatened by the protests outside of the city walls led by Smellerbee. Uh, Cory then r- meets her, you know, like, ha- like runs to her partner, Sneers, who uh, shows up at the training session and she learns from him that he was actually helping to lead the protests with Smellerbee. And, you know, as an empath, I can kind of tell when she's upset. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. So dumb. So <laughs> dumb. I had to throw that in there. Um, Sneers then asks her where her loyalty lies, with the Fire Nation or with the Earth Kingdom. And she angrily replies that she's both an Earthbender and a citizen of the Fire Nation and insists that her boyfriend choose between her and Smellerby before storming off. So hmm. interesting, interesting dilemma going on here, to say yeah. the least. Um, but Cut back to Aang and Katara in the Earth Kingdom. They then meet with the Earth King and share that Yudao is still there for now. Aang and Katara then propose setting up a meeting between the Earth King and Zuko. And Katara is clearly worried that Zuko's legitimate concerns about the people living in Yudao and other cities like it are being pushed mm-hmm. aside. Um, yeah. Then over dinner, the Earth King decides that he's going to prove his manliness, essentially. Quite literally says that I'm going to be a man. And yeah. bring his troops to Yudao to, quote, enforce harmony, which is a goddamn oxymoron. Like, yes, <laughs> sounds wrong. I mean, I get why he's doing this, because he's been lied to and manipulated his entire life. And he sees this as another lie people are throwing at him. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm still pissed off with his decision, though. <laughs> like, buddy, no. <laughs> now's not the yeah, time I, somebody I mean, get all assertive, okay? Like... <laughs> I mean, but the but the reasons for why he does this are also contradictory because if he has been in fact manipulated his whole life by like Long Fang yeah. um and being quiet about this stuff, how well informed can this this decision be possibly made? Like I don't we don't know if like off screen he like has like a war cancel 
cancel council that uh he like you know goes to but at the same time i'm like i don't know if like i mean this is this isn't like a small decision this is no. like an act of war yeah. essentially which is uh which is not great um because we literally just finished the hundred years war so we're not trying to add another year onto that no. um but yeah i mean this is I understand why he's doing it. I agree with you. I, I, I don't know what else he could do apart from listen to Zuko's side. Um, I mean, I, I, I think it would be worth the Earth King himself actually going to visit Yu Dao. But I don't know. Maybe, I don't know if that would help because maybe he would see like the majority of the Earth Kingdom citizens. Not living as well as the Fire Nation citizens. Yeah, so... Yeah. It's I don't know. I don't know. It's it feels like an impossible situation. Yeah. This whole know? thing is an impossible situation. Really. Yeah. It's very difficult. But I'm interested to see where this goes from here. But it's gonna get more interesting because Ang and Katara then try to reason with him about this, but he essentially pulls in episode three, Anakin Skywalker is like, if you're not with me, then you're my enemy, and storms off. He says that you know if you're not with me, you're against me, essentially, but I had to make that reference to Star Wars because <laughs> Yeah, I'm pretty yeah. bad. I had to. But yeah, he essentially says, like, you know, if you're not going to be on my side about this, I'm going to assume that you're against me on this and storms off. And then mm. race to Appa to get to Yudao, try to get there to warn the colonists to evacuate before the Earth Kingdom troops get there. Um, the guitar points out, like, what if they refuse to leave? And then Aang pauses and then he replies that the Earth King was right about Zuko breaking his promises and that promises shouldn't be broken ever. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I don't like this because this is the second time that a promise has come up in this ser- in like this story, and that makes me very nervous. I know, I know, you know, obviously he doesn't kill Zuko, but still the angst that's to come, and you know, mm-hmm. it's just there's two promises in the air already. Are there going to be like more things, more things promised, things broken? Like the title keeps coming back, guys. It makes me nervous. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm interested to see how part three tackles like this aspect of uh, Aang and Zuko's relationship um, because I think it's it's definitely an interesting one, especially given how it started. But, I mean, I don't know. It's At the same time, it's kind of heartbreaking that the these two friends, I mean, it, it really is like another Sozin and Roku dynamic i mean they're both world leaders but they're also friends so how do you balance that how do you not let one of those things get in the you know, way influence you. how you behave with the other aspects exactly. you know but <sighs> i don't i don't know yeah i don't know yeah. as they take off the leader of the you know avatar Aang fan club who was spying on them sends a messenger hawk to the Yudao chapter that the avatar needs their help so yay another ball in the air here <laughs> yeah a lot of balls in the air right now so many uh back to Toph's students Sokka then takes them camping and scares them with the story of a winged boar spirit that haunts the mountain uh <laughs> suddenly Toph comes out disguised as that spirit as that fictional spirit which she made the entire like that she did Sokka had to describe the armor <laughs> that she made of this monster uh and the dark one is just not spooked by this at all until Toph orders, uh, like says his real name which apparently is Muchi Gucci Lapucci the third. No wonder he hates everybody, as Top says. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I prefer the dark one. My God. <laughs> um, Sokka then attempts to inspire them to beat the firebending rival class, but uh, they're a little too. They're a little too. They're not in the right headspace for that right now. Yeah, nothing. Say, nothing seems to be working. To say the right. To say the least. So cut back to later that night. Uh, 
Top and Sokka are talking. Sokka then tries to pitch another idea to get the kids to help Metal Ben, but she's just not hearing it at this point. She then talks to him about how she discovered metal bending back in season two when she was put in that metal box. The thought that she was going to be back, put back into a life where she was expected to be delicate and helpless, which is not who she was, caused her to experience the pain and pressure similar to how metal is made from earth. Mm-hmm. Um, and she does not want to push the kind of pressure and pain that her parents did onto her students. That wasn't fair to them. And so in this decision, she decides to forfeit the academy and the students hear her say that like they've been listening to this entire conversation. Yeah. And I, I was not expecting um, this because it's at first, like this whole like B story of the metal bunny Academy is like meant to kind of like, you know, lighten up the comic just from like the, the dark, heavy political stuff. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> but I like that they included this aspect of there's like an emotional catalyst behind everything that's happening too. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, I think it's it's really interesting for Toph's character to show this level of empathy. Um, and I I just thought it was a really good character moment for Toph. Absolutely. She's, she's not very vulnerable a whole lot of the time. And most of the time when she does get vulnerable, it's with Sokka, when we do see her. That is true. That is true. I don't know if it's because out of Ankatara and Sokka, I think maybe Sokka, their personalities seem to... Mesh um, better. Mesh better than the Ankatara's. Um, but yeah, the, it is undeniable that Toph does feel like a certain uh, safety in Sokka in terms of like divulging like these vulnerable emotions. So yeah, I really, I really liked this conversation. This was a really, I, this is probably my favorite part, one of my favorite scenes in the comic so far. So, um, well, the next morning comes and the rival firebending class has arrived. Uh, you know, their teacher is ready to fight. Uh, he still has the metal spear on his, tied around his head. <laughs> And the last time he faced off with Toph, which is now customized with flags on it. Uh, mm-hmm. And like, you know, Sokka's like, hey, nice headgear. And he's like, it's a convenient way to carry flags. I can take it off anytime I want. Like, I, that's something that I could just sure. hear in the show happening. Yeah. And, and it just just made me smile. Um, Toph is essentially ready to forfeit the school to him. And she goes to sit down. But um, Potan enters the room and metal bends some coins to hit Toph in the butt <laughs> to get her to stop. <laughs> The other two students then show up and start metal bending as well. And in a vicious battle between flame and coin, the coins win. And, you know, the firebending teacher loses the battle to the sit. <laughs> so Flame and coins is the title of my new YA novel. <laughs> I also just love the part that was like, they're trying to like firebend at the coins. Like, guys, just making the coins hot. Like, yeah. It's not working. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Um. And the students then, t- the metal bending students then tell Toph that her words last night had inspired them, which then inspires her right back into being a teacher again. Um, and she's like, well, I'm mm-hmm. not, I don't appreciate you hitting me in the butt with coins, but I'm glad you guys did it. <laughs> like, I'm glad you guys metal yeah. bended. <laughs> oh my God. So, yay, the metal bending academy is back. Toph's back to her, you know, tough self, hard ass self. Uh, and things seem pretty good. But cut back to the Fire Nation Palace. Uh, May has found out that Zuko has been talking to his father. She then tells Zuko that she believes he cares more about his secret, her his secrets than about her, and she dumps him again, essentially. Which mm. I mean, I'm not surprised. <laughs> I'm kind of just like, okay, no. 
that's a thing that happens. I mean, it sucks for Zuko to have one less person in his life that he can talk to, but he didn't talk to. So in that point, yeah, it's... and I think this is meant to be like the price of being a ruler. You know, yeah. like it's another thing to motivate him to do whatever he ends up doing. Yeah. So I mean, I'm not really that emotionally invested in Zuko and May's relationship. So I'm kind of like, eh. Mm-hmm. sorry buddy kind of your fault uh like <laughs> but that's rough buddy uh, <laughs> yeah i had to put that in there um suki then runs in and reveals that she had told may that he was visiting ozai because she's been following him uh but she was concerned about him and his mental state and wanting to know if there was a way for her or and the other kiyoshi warriors to be able to help um but then one of Zuko's generals runs in and reveals that the spies in the Earth Kingdom have confirmed that the Earth Kingdom army is marching to Yudao. Uh, so, not great, guys. And also, Suki's like, you guys have spies? You, you, you've been using spies? And you don't even get a second to process no. that because the next few panels is the, of the advancing Earth Kingdom army and the Fire Nation army gearing up for the confrontation. And that ends part two of the promise. Yay, more war. <laughs> what is it good for? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> oh my god. So, I don't know what else to say at this point. I'm kind of just like, bring on part three. I'm ready to see how this all turns out. Uh, yeah, I out. guess we'll see Insert what happens. Insert that RuPaul gif of him with the, uh, like the opera glasses. I can't wait to see how this turns out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So let's move on into our fandom corner this week. So we have returned to Tumblr, or never really left it, to be honest. I think every almost every post of that, that we've discussed on Fandom Corner has been Pretty a much. Tumblr post. So please send in some more things. <laughs> please and thank you. We can diversify our sources here. But this, I found like kind of a loose tie to the Promise uh, comics. So let's just get mm-hmm. into it. So from Irresistible Revolution on Tumblr, they write, Thinking about Atla thematics as usual and fascinated by how many fans insist they wanted Aang to grow up more at the end of the series without considering how one of the show's major themes is the terrible ways war and imperialism rob people of their childhoods. One of Aang's major gifts to every single character was restoring a piece of their lost or stolen or brutalized childhood. Aang reminds Katara that is still joy in the world and feels her hope. He brings wonder to Sokka's life with his flying bison. He sees Zuko not as a terrifying enemy, but as a boy he might have been friends with and had fun with. He offers Toph a way out of her repressive home to have the adventure she had been longing for. And all of these characters rise to fulfill their destinies through honoring their inner child, the parts of themselves that are still hopeful, gentle, kind, fierce, innocent, deserving of protection, and breaking the cycles of violence and abuse that interrupted their childhoods. Azula was convinced that she had no need for her inner child and essentially killed Aang in cold blood in Ba Sing Se, after which she slowly but surely lost everything she cared about, including her sense of self. Finally, Aang shows mercy to Ozai, thematically reminding the latter that the children he had tried to kill and brutalize are a force capable of rising above petty violence and shaping the world. You can even argue that the original rupture in the mythos was that when both Sozin and the Air Nation sought to rob a child of their right to childhood, Sozin by hunting a child, and the air nomads by hastening Aang out of his childhood so he could help them. And that balance is restored when Aang, who represents the world's lost gentleness and mercies, and uphold, upholds value that a war-torn world regards as childish and immature. He manages to end the war with a gesture that honors these values and affirms everybody's right to a safe and loving childhood, to a life free of violence. Yeah, I, I this Shit. is also <laughs> this is also interesting to look at when you when 
we talk a lot about how it's like a children's show, but it deals heavily with uh, like war and violence and genocide and all that stuff. But it it doesn't lose its its sense of innocence um, and wonder. And I think and I yeah, and I think that that's a a very consistent thematic device that is constantly in like going through every single single piece of avatar media that no matter how like dark things get there's always going to be that sense of wonder that sense of innocence there's still good in this world that's worth fighting for exactly and i think this is also another good reason to um back up ang's decision not to kill ozai because taking yourself out of like the logical context of the world like thematically narratively it would not track for Ozai or for Aang to kill Ozai. No. It just wouldn't. And I think we we talked about this in our finale episode, but I I still stand by the fact that Aang showing Ozai mercy is, you know, is bringing the theme full circle of the show, which is that violence will never, ever solve anything, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah, I, I really, I really like this. And I never even thought about how Aang does like, you know, instill um like child childhood wonder back into the people in his life. Absolutely. I I really, really love that. Like it's complete honestly, this whole post kind of really like just added another layer to what I already knew about the show and understood and loved about it. Um Absolutely. It just definitely changed my perspective on it, you know, even more to like those scenes of him writing like the elephant koi and like the, you know, penguin sledding and things like that. Just Adds a whole other layer to it, for sure. So, yeah. well, that concludes Fandom Corner for this week. So let's move on to our recommendations. Andre, what do you recommend for this week? Um, if you are a fan of drag queens and singing, I recommend that you go check out Queen of the Universe. It's six episodes, so it's a quick watch. Um, but it's like a singing competition. And the twist is that instead of the drag queens lip syncing, they're actually singing. And I love this i've watched it through like three times because i keep introducing it to people and it's such a quick watch um but it, my favorite part of it is that the drag queens are uh representing all parts of the world like they come they all come in internationally so the songs they sing are like really diverse and inclusive and honestly bops and it's just it's it's very wholesome it's like drama free like it's none it's not like drag race or anything um and it's it's funny it's entertaining it's heartwarming so um yeah if you just want to watch something light this week um definitely go check out queen of the universe and that's awesome is that all paramount plus is that right paramount plus need your yes. password i'm kidding <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it sounds like a really cool show. The air. i keep seeing i keep <laughs> seeing like ads for it on tiktok and stuff like that and it looks like a really fun mm. show so that you know I'll find a way to watch it. Um, But my recommendation for this week is one of my favorite musicals slash movies musicals, and it's Moulin Rouge. Um, It's so I kind of like, honestly, it's kind of a two-parter. I do recommend the musical as well as the movie. I haven't seen the musical, but I love the music for it. Um, But essentially Mm -hmm. is a jukebox musical, but it's not like a lot of others where they have like all the music is based off of one artist. It's based off of multiple, like so many, like too many to count. Um, and so this movie came out in 2001, starring Ian McGregor and Nicole Kidman, as well as, um, I can't remember who else is in it, but whatever. It is absurd. It's a Baz Luhrmann film. You feel like you're on drugs half the time watching it, but the visuals are awesome. <laughs> the choices in music, which I just love, it's, again, it's not based off of trying to do everything based off of one artist. 
the songs tell the story. The songs selected tell the story in a fantastic mm-hmm. way. If you watch it for nothing else, watch it for the te- the um, El Tango de Roxanne because that is the best scene in the entire fucking movie. Like, if you watch it for nothing else, watch for that one scene. Um, but again, it is absurd. It is beautiful. And sadly, unfortunately, it's kind of a sad story. But I love it to pieces. And the musical, I love that they've updated the songs to include some more ones, like more, more songs that have come out after uh, the movie had come out in 2001. So like they include things like Chandelier, uh, which works so well for the story. Like the Moulin Rouge musical is very different than the movie in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. which I like because there's a lot, there's some cultural appropriation in the 2001 movie mm-hmm. that I'm not a fan of. So the musical takes away the cultural appropriation and some of the other kind of ickiness from it, including slut shaming. Um, and just added like more music to it that took, came out after it and just made the story even better. However, I will say the musical is lacking some of like the just the music. I haven't seen the musical yet, but some of the music kind of lacks in the flair of the movie. So I like them both for different reasons. So listen to the cast album of Moulin Rouge on Broadway and watch the movie and listen to the soundtrack for the movie. So that's my recommendation for the week. Technically, it's a two-parter, but I can't talk about one without the other. <laughs> awesome. All right. So if you like what you are hearing here, give us a follow on social media. We are now on TikTok with plenty of nonsense coming your way. Uh, we have so many fun videos planned for this. I am so excited to share more with all of you. But if you'd like to follow us on TikTok, we are at the Avatar Hour Pod. And of course, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the Avatar Hour Podcast and on Twitter at Avatar Hour. And like I mentioned before, we are always looking for more fandom corner entries. So if you've got any good theories or memes or just something you'd like to share about what we discussed on the show, send it our way through our DMs on our socials, as well as our email at the Avatar Hour Podcast at gmail.com. And of course, if you'd like some more Avatar Hour in your life, then consider signing up for our Patreon. For as little as $1 a month or as much as $5 a month, you can access our show notes, you can get ad-free editions of our episodes, Zoom recordings, and a lot more. And of course, if you sign up for our $5 level, you get access to the Avatar Hour, uh, sorry, the Avatar After Hour, where we discuss things that, are, you know, kind of like take small things and discuss them for a few minutes. So it'd be anything from reacting to uh, like what bender we'd be, what quiz, like that kind of quiz stuff. We also reacted to Avatar TikTok. Uh, just a lot of other different fun things. I have a few favorites myself, but I'm also really excited for what we do with the Avatar After Hour this season. So subscribe Mm -hmm. at our $5 level for that. Awesome. And if you haven't already, please, please, please make sure you are subscribed to the show on your favorite podcast platform of choice and leave a review if you can. I believe Spotify just rolled out their own rating system. So if you're a Spotify listener, definitely make sure to give us five stars. All right. Well, that wraps it up for us. We will be back next week with part three of The Promise, wrapping up a recap for that. Thank you guys so much for listening and we will see you next week. I'm Andre. And I'm Kayla. Bye, everyone.